those of you who weren't here last Wednesday, you really missed an amazing thing. Our teenagers conducted an Ash Wednesday service for us. We had a, a really large crowd come for the service, and we heard great music done by our teenagers. There was no adults participating in the whole program. And then Maddie Williams and Hallie Rodman delivered their first sermons ever, probably not their last, I hope. And they they were beautiful. They were just wonderful, beautiful messages. I I was in the service, and I get kind of emotional thinking about it. I was just sitting in the back of the service, and I just had such joy in my heart and felt so great about uh, our youth and our children and the great things that happen in the youth and children here at our church. It just, just made me happy. This is the beginning of Lent, and I'm beginning a series of messages called Thin Places. And let me tell you what that idea, where it comes from. It comes from Celtic Christianity. Celtic Christianity was found in Scotland, uh, founded in Scotland and in Ireland. And it's the idea that the distance between us and God is paper thin. And there are moments in life when the distance doesn't seem so great and God is very near and very close. There's moments and experiences and places in life where we realize the nearness of God. By the way, this is a Celtic cross behind us. We have Scottish origin and roots in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And that it believes that God is everywhere. And it's not so much a case of God becoming present to us as it is us becoming present to God. I always find it really interesting when we're in worship, and I, I do this too, and we hear a prayer that goes something like this, God, we're here today, and we're praying that you're going to be here too. And I imagine God saying, well, I was here before you got here. I was here when you woke up. I was with you when you got out of bed. I was with you when you were brushing your teeth. I was with you when you were eating your breakfast. I was with you when you were born. I'm with you your whole life. I'm always here. You're the one that's not here. You're the one that's not present. How many of us in the room are grandparents? Don't you love your grandkids? Don't you? Don't you just... Don't you just, and those of you who are not grandparents, you're going to know what I'm talking about. You just can't wait for the grandkids to come over because at some point they go home, right? (laughs) No, but you get to, you know, you get all the fun stuff. You earned it. But I'm a grandparent and I know what it's like. You know, you want your, your granddaughter, your grandson to be loved, and you want to know what's going on in their lives. And my mom calls me, what's going on with Alex? How's Alex doing in school? How's Rebecca? They want to, and they just can't, a grandparent just can't wait for the grandkids to get to the house. But what happens? The teenage grandson walks in the house. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. They've been waiting to see you for a whole month, and they're looking at their phone. Not all of you. And and then you say, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. How's school? Fine. What's going on? Nothing. (laughs) They're not, you've been waiting for them to show up, and they're not there. They're someplace else. I wonder if that's how God feels sometimes. God can't wait for us to get out of bed. God can't wait to have breakfast with us. Then God sits down at the table 
to share an English muffin and an egg and a cup of coffee. And we don't even know that God is there. God's present all the time. And uh, that's what the season of Lent is all about. The season, the season of Lent is a time of special focus. It's not a time where you give up chocolate or you know something like that. What it is, it's a time of focus. It's, it's a time that where Christians for centuries have said there needs to be a time of the year where we reorient ourselves or re- refocus our energy, redirect our attention to God. Uh, a special time of dedication where we strip away some of the things in our life that distract us and, and take away our focus, some of our worries and fears, and we do things to devote our attention and energy so that we can recognize God's nearness and allow God's life to work in us. And why? Why is it? Because whenever we're in the presence of God, a few things happen to us. We feel just how great God's love is, and then we change. Because here's what happens. Whenever you're in the presence of God, your life gets bigger. Your heart becomes more open. You become more generous. Your vision gets wider. It's like you're walking through the forest and you can't see anything but the trees. You can't see what's behind you. You can't see what's in front of you. You're lost. You, you, you can only see where you are. And then when you're in the presence of God, it's like suddenly you walk out of the forest clearing and you can see the blue sky, the sun, the fields, you can see for miles. And it's like suddenly you realize, my life is a lot bigger than I thought it was. Why is this important? Because when we see the things that happen in our world, it's easier to get smaller. It's easy to become more fearful. And when we get smaller and we get more fearful, Evil wins. Always. And this is not the time to be fearful. It's the time to choose faith. To choose faith over fear and to live and to be who that we were called to be. To be the people of Jesus in the world. The people of mercy and compassion. And, and have these huge open hearts. So today I want to take you to a river. And I want to show you what happened in a thin moment when the distance was so near between God and people. Let me tell you the story. So you read uh, Matthew's gospel. In the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you hear that a Savior is going to be born. And you hear about the birth of Jesus. And then you hear in the third chapter that there is this preacher who has gone out into the Judean desert near a river to preach. He has been told that something amazing has happened and that God is at work in the world in a new way, that the Messiah has come. And he's gone down into the desert near the river, Jordan. And if you know the geography of Israel, the Jordan River travels from the north to the south, straight down the middle, and it goes from a a, a beautiful green land to a desert region. And it says that he was out there in the wilderness and he was preaching. 
And as he was preaching, people from all around the cities flocked by the hundreds and maybe by the thousands out to the desert to hear him preach. And he had this message. He said, you need to repent. You need to turn your life toward God because God's kingdom is near. This is the time to respond. And it says that people that were there heard his message. And they began to confess their sins. And one by one, they walked into the water and they were baptized. And baptism meant cleansing, washing, renewal, new life. It basically said the old life I was living is gone. The new life I want is in front of me. I'm going to embrace this big open thing that God has in mind for me. And a new thing. Let me ask you, why do you think they went into the desert? Why did they leave their homes? Why did they go out there to hear this message? Because they were hungry for it. Because they looked around the world and they said, we need God in our world. And I need change in my life. I want to know God. I want to know God. They weren't satisfied with the answers they were receiving. They weren't satisfied with where they were. They were hungry. Lent. Same thing. We enter this time because we're hungry. Because we need God. We want to know God. So they'll go down there under the water and John is preaching to them. And John says to them, he says, yeah, I'm baptizing you. But there's someone coming who's going to show up. And he's going to baptize you with fire. And he's going to baptize you with water. And he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Any farmers? There was one at last service. The chaff is the outer husk on the grain. And he says that when he's going to come, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, the, the unuseful from the useful, the bad from the good. You know what I used to think that meant? I used to think it meant that he was going to separate the bad people from the good people. I want to be good people, not bad people. Then the older I got, my thinking became less black and less white and more gray, and I realized I am good people, I am bad people. And that what he wants to do in me when he shows up is he wants to separate the good within me and the bad within me. He wants to take away the pride, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, all the things that cause me pain and pain to other people. And if I'll just open myself up to him and put myself in his presence and take away the distractions and that will begin to happen. And it happens over the course of our life. And so then at that moment, he's preaching that message. It says, then, here's what the scripture says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized you and do you come to me? And I love that about Jesus. You know why I loved it about Jesus? Because if that had been me, I'd have said, yeah, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to be first. I'm the son of God. Everybody get out of my way. I'm going into the water. Everybody out of the pool. But I love that about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is so humble. He's the son of God. Yet he's, you know what he does? He just gets in line with everybody else. He said, I'm one of you. I'm just like you. And I'm entering a new phase in my life too. I'm leaving my old life behind. I'm going on to my new ministry. I'm going to serve God's purpose with my life. 
And he says, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When you come and you bring your open heart, and you come and say, here I am. I want to begin my new life. I want a new story. I open myself to you. We can be assured that he's going to make an appearance. And he's going to walk down into the water with us and help us shed the old things and take on the new things. And we're going to hear those words for us that God loves us too. And our life is going to get bigger and more expansive, and more generous, and more magnificent. Let me, let me give you an example. You probably have, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Have you ever been down to uh, 4th and Walnut? 4th and Walnut, there's a, there's a sign down there. If you haven't been there, you need to go down and look at it. It, w- it was a moment, it was a thin place moment for Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton was a monk from Gethsemane. And uh, he wrote a great biography about his life. And he at one point was an atheist. He was, well, had a very wild life. Then he had an incredible experience with God. And he became a Trappist monk. Uh, he then ended up here in Gethsemane. And there he wrote lots of books and brought tremendous inspiration to people all around the world. But in 1958, he was shopping for the monastery, buying groceries. He was down at 4th Street in Walnut when suddenly he had one of those moments when he realized that God was here all around us and he could see it and it changed the way he looked at the world. And he wrote wrote this down, he said, in Louisville at the corner of 4th and Walnut in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people. And that they were mine and I theirs. And that we could not be alien to one another even though we are total strangers. See what happens when we're in the presence of God. It just expands our horizon. expands. It makes us larger, not smaller. It was like waking from a dream of separateness. A spurious self-isolation in a special, special world. Now, now what I would say about this, and I meant to say this earlier, is that if your experience with God, if your experience with God makes you smaller, if your experience with God makes you fearful, if your experience with God makes you less loving, if your experience with God makes you distrust others who are different from you, let me say that it may be possible That it's not God that you're experiencing. Because God always, always, always makes us bigger. Now what I love about it is if you go down the 4th Street and Walnut Street, you you walk around and say, this is no special place. Just an ordinary place. He's just doing an ordinary thing. That's the great thing about thin places. Those places when you recognize that God is near and that God is right there and you, you, you find yourself with a... The, the distance between you and God is close is because it can happen anywhere. It could happen right now. 
could happen when you're changing a diaper. could happen when you're raking leaves. could happen when you get up early in the morning, you've got a good book in front of you, and you're alone with your thoughts. Or, or, or it could happen when you're out on a walk on an autumn day, and you're alone with your thoughts. could be when you're sitting beside the bedside of someone you love, and you're the only one in the room, and you're watching their life leave them, and you're in this sort of holy moment when you're giving that person up to God, and it's a thin, thin place, and you sense, even though there's this incredible loss upon you, you feel that God is near, and you're finally able to say, she is with God. And God is hers. And you find God in that moment. Again, this is what Thomas Merton said. Merton said this. He said, life is simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent. And the divine is shining through all the time. And the greatest need of our time is to clean out the enormous mass of mental and emotional rubbish that clutters our minds. Anybody here have any rubbish to get rid of? Anybody carrying around some stuff you don't need to carry? You know, I get up on Sunday mornings and, and I hope I make it look easy to deliver a sermon. I've had plenty of practice. But do you, you don't realize that it probably takes me twice as long to prepare a sermon as the average preacher. Because I have the attention span of a gnat. <laughs> Easily distracted. And I have to get myself in a really, really quiet place in a room by myself where I can't have no distractions, otherwise I can't go deep enough, I just stay on the surface. I have to clear out things. Again, that's what Lent is. It's a time of clearing things away. That's why I love this verse from Jesus. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, this is basically what he says in chapter 6. He says, you're worried about all kinds of things. Stop worrying, easier said than done, right? Tell that to your mother, see how that works. Don't worry, Mom. It's not going to work. Don't worry about all the stuff. The birds of the air don't worry. God takes care of them. So he says, don't worry about what we're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. The pagans chase after that stuff. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first. It doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. It just means they're going to become less important to you. And God's going to take care of you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of the day. Tomorrow's worry has enough trouble of its own. What he's saying is if you put God first, if you seek God with your life, then the things that you worry about will become less and less important. You'll become more open, more expansive. You have this confidence that the world is indeed a good place in spite of the evidence around us. Let me tell you about an experience I had this week. Last week, I had a funeral, week before last, and I got home on Sunday, and I was exhausted. Phone rings. David, my husband died. You probably never met uh, these individuals. They, they were members of our church, and um, he had not been in a while. He had some personal problems. Now, let me say this. Wonderful Beautiful, good-looking fellow, successful in business, had a beautiful wife, two wonderful children, 
lots of brothers, a big family. The last time I saw him, we were having communion. He had been in church in about a year. He was walking up forward for communion at 950 service. And I walked up to him and took him by the hand. And I said, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Keep coming. And I knew how hard it was for him to be here because he didn't feel good about himself. Because he had a personal problem. Like a lot of people, he had a, he had a, he had a disposition toward drinking. And the more that he drank, the more shame he felt for himself. And he couldn't see, he couldn't see how people felt about him. We talked about this very openly at a service. And so like everyone in this room, he had a wound. And the wound made him feel bad about himself. And it made him want to withdraw and wanted to hide. And let me say to you, if you're wounded, if you're wounded, the worst thing you can do is to go into the dark. Because if you go in the dark, the wound grows. It's in the light that the wound heals. It's in the presence of other people. It's opening up your life to other people. Everybody in this room was wounded. And as hard as people tried to share that with him, he just couldn't see it. He couldn't get help. And then last week, his son found him in his apartment, and he had died. 55 years old, almost the same age as me, he died alone, all alone. I told his family, I said, you know, he had this wound and he just couldn't feel, he couldn't feel love. No matter how much you told him that you loved him, he just couldn't feel love and it made him isolate himself from everybody. And I said, but do you know what happened? I believe this with my whole heart. The moment that he left this life alone, he entered into the presence of God and realized for the first time he was not alone. And when he walked through the gates of heaven, however it might be, and met with God, God said, you know what, I'm, you need to know that your family has been filling my ears with prayers for you for months. Your friends have been filling my ears with prayers for months. Do you realize how loved you are? Do you realize how much I love you? And for the first time in his life, he was able to receive and to feel that love. At some point in every person's life, in every person's life, at some point in every person's life, they're going to find out that to be true. But there's no reason to wait until you die to hear it and to believe it. Every day is a new day. Every day is a fresh beginning. And so as I was preparing for the funeral, I don't know, I had this book on my shelf, I haven't read it in a long time, I picked it up, and it was written by a 12th, uh, 12th century monk who uh, served in the Thirty Years' War. And the Thirty Years' War was a huge, million people died, it was in, 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 in Europe, and uh, it was a religious war between Protestants and Catholics, and uh, Brother Lawrence 
was a soldier. He had a, he had a thin moment, epiphany with God that sent him to a monastery. And you know what his job in the monastery was? Cleaning the pans in the kitchen and washing the dishes and cooking the food and repairing the sandals of his fellow monks. And uh, he wrote these letters that became put into a book form, and Christians have been reading them for centuries, because basically this is what he says. You don't have to be in a worship service to experience the presence of God. You don't have to go to a special place in the world to experience God. You don't have to be a special person to experience God. God's everywhere, and it's about being open to that presence of God. And, it, and when you become open to the presence of God, you become alive in God. And then I came across this quote. I regard myself, he says, as the most wretched of all men, stinking and covered with sores, and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him, ask him his pardon, and abandon myself entirely to him to do with as he will. So my friend I was talking about earlier, I, I read this at the service. This is my friend for a lot of us. I'm wicked, I'm filled with sores, I should not come before God. It makes us want to hide. But he pushed past his fear, Brother Lawrence did, Brother Lawrence, the author of this book, and this is what he says. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, lovingly embraces me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasures, and treats me as his favor. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand and one ways. The gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaimed by a monk from the 12th century. I come for God and I feel so terrible about myself. I feel wicked and ashamed and afraid and I'm fearful that God is going to burn me and hurt me and wound me. But instead, this loving God embraces me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasures, treats me as his favorite, puts a robe on my back and puts a ring on my finger and kills the fatted calf, runs down the road and says, my son, my son, you've returned. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand and one ways. He forgives me and relieves me of my principal bad habits without talking about them. And I beg him to make me according to his heart. And always the more weak and despicable I see myself to be. Remember the baptism? The more beloved I am of God. Last comment. Your baptism isn't God's way of saying, you're so bad I have to wash you up. Your baptism is God's way of claiming you as his own and saying, this is my son. This is my daughter. I am 